Indeed, his covenant, he remembers still the word that he commands. A thousand generations hence, his promises will stand. Those promises stand for us this morning. We read of these promises in the first place this morning from Genesis chapter 17. I invite you to turn with me there this morning in the first place. Genesis chapter 17. Look at this passage as well as a few verses from Mark chapter 10 in connection with our confession of faith with regards to God's steadfast covenant love for us and for our children after us. Genesis chapter 17 in the first place, read verses 1 through 14 together. When Abram was nine nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's turn also in the New Testament to Mark chapter 10. And to the witness of the Lord Jesus that these covenant promises still stand. Mark chapter 10, reading verses 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. We turn also in our confession to Lord's Day 27, Lord's Day 27, continuing along the avenues of our Christian comfort and in the ways in which God speaks to us, these means of grace, these means by which God bestows grace to us and assures us of that grace. 
And we come to questions 72 to 74 this morning in Lord's Day 27. The first question is this. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? And we confess, no. Only Jesus Christ, blood and Holy Spirit, cleanse us from all sins. Question 73. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away all our sins, just as water removes the dirt from the body. But more importantly, God wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. And then finally, question 74, should infants also be baptized? And the church has always confessed, yes. Infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. This the church of Christ does believe. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, among the kings most known for his goodness and godliness in the 13th century, Perhaps none stands out so brightly as King Louis IX of France, especially known for his Christian piety. He was often referred to as Louis the Pious. He was known for being a king who was most heroic in adversity, for being a king who was most unyielding in his sympathies for those suffering and in need. But when King Louis IX was asked which day he considered to be the greatest day of his life, Rather than pointing to the day of his coronation at age 12 when he was crowned king, or pointing to the day of his wedding day to his lovely wife Margaret, King Louis instead pointed to the day of his baptism. For on that day he said God had granted him salvation. And while we of course may do well to speak a little more carefully than that about the day of our baptisms, it is a real shame that far too often the day of our baptism is altogether forgotten or ignored by us. It's a real shame how rarely it likely is the case that when you and I are being tempted to sin or when we are enduring the frustration of having already fallen into sin, it's a real shame how rarely perhaps we are inclined to, to look back to that day of our baptism, the day that still speaks to us today. For as we heard last week in Lord's Day 26, as we're reminded here again in Lord's Day 27, the Lord has given us this sign and seal of baptism in order that you and I might be reminded and assured, whether in the face of temptation or in the face of frustration after having given in to temptation, God has given us the sign and seal of baptism that we might be reminded and assured that as surely as water washes away the dirt from our bodies, that's how sure we can be today that Christ's blood and spirit have washed away all our souls' impurities, that is, all our sins, 
this congregation is at the very heart of God's covenant promise, that promise that he first made to Adam and Eve in the garden, that he would redeem them from their bondage to sin, that he would redeem them from their enmity, that he would redeem them and cleanse them from all their iniquities. That much was was pictured for them when the blood of the animal was shed, that they might receive a covering for their nakedness and shame. God's word throughout the scriptures, people of God, has consistently been a word of grace to sinners, a gracious word of assurance that he is able to do what we could never do, that he is able to take all our sins away so that once again, we might have fellowship with the very one whom we sinned against, that once we might have fellowship with the very one whom we turned our backs on in the garden. And this, boys and girls, is the whole story of the Bible. It's a story about God stooping down to establish a relationship with sinners like you and me. The story of the Bible is a story of God's condescending grace and mercy coming down to us to say, I will have a relationship with you. And so just as the Lord appeared to Abram thousands of years ago, saying, Behold, my covenant is with you, and I will establish my covenant with you to be with you and your children after you, so to the Lord of the covenant speaks to us this morning. He condescends, he stoops down to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our deserving of death. And he says, Fear not, my child. Fear not, for you are mine. And here, here is a sign and a seal to, to prove it. And so rather than saying that, that baptism is somehow a, a testimony that we make before God, as the Baptists say, or that it's some sort of act of obedience by which we symbolize our faith in God, we stand on the shoulders of Father Abraham and on the shoulders of the apostles and the prophets. We stand on the testimony of the Lord Jesus himself. And we recognize from God's word that baptism as a sign of the covenant is all about what God is saying to us. Baptism as a sign of the covenant is all about what God is saying to poor, needy sinners like you and me, not the other way around. Baptism is all about the God of the covenant and his condescending grace coming down to his covenant children with a word of grace, bending over backwards, as it were, for us so that we might be reminded and assured, so that we might have no reason to doubt that believers and their children belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that even when believing parents in God's sad providence are to lay a child in the cemetery, even then they can be sure that that child is a child of the promise, that God had a promise also for them, and so when we ask the question of whether or not children of believers should be baptized, it's not just a matter of, of who's right and who's wrong. It's not a, a trite matter of little significance. Oh, you can have your view, I'll have my view. Can't we all just get along and have a, a church that just does both? But when we ask the question of whether or not the children of believers ought to be baptized, we're talking about the honor of the Lord. We're talking about the honor of His covenant. We're talking about the very character of God, of, of who he is, and, and how he and his infinite grace and mercy, how God has chosen to, to relate to sinners like you and me. It's not a matter of little significance. 
And that God calls us to bring even our babies to be baptized is a reminder, isn't it, that God always comes to us when we're needy and helpless. God always comes to us when we're unable to do anything right or righteous on our own. God always comes to us when we are feeble and weak as those babies are. God always speaks the first word. We heard last week that in the waters of baptism, God says, I have cleansed you of all your sins. I have, I have made you clean. Now go therefore and live as the washed ones. I have cleansed you. Believe my word, he says in baptism. I have cleansed you. Believe my word rather than your own thoughts or others say about you. When you say to yourself, I'm so filthy with sin, God says, I have cleansed you. Now live as a cleansed one. But that's not all God is saying. For when we bring our children before the congregation to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, this too is what God is saying to them and also to us. I loved you first. I loved you first. Now don't ever forget it. When he... And so there is no sense of wondering in this regard. While there, oftentimes in in romantic relationships, there's a sense of wondering who's going to feel it first, who's going to say it first. There is no confusion. There is no wondering with God. God says it first, I love you. And when he says, he doesn't say it merely in private, that he can take it away or renege upon that promise. But rather he says it in public. He says it in church before the whole congregation so that there is a historical record that on such and such a day, at such and such an hour, God spoke a word of grace to you and said, I love you. You too are are a child of my covenant and you too belong to my covenant people. As we work our way through this, Lord's Day, I'm going to consider three things together this morning. First of all, we want to consider God's covenant compassion on his covenant children. We consider, secondly, God's covenant commands for his covenant children, and finally, his covenant comfort for his covenant children. God speaks a gracious word to us in baptism, and that word is this, I loved you first. In question 74, a catechism asks the question, should infants also be baptized? And implying that question, perhaps better stated the question would say, should should the infants of believers also be baptized? Does God also have, have a word for them? And to that question, God's word teaches us to say, yes, infants also ought to be baptized because infants, as well as adults, are included in God's covenant and are his people. They know less than adults. Our promise of deliverance of sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the mark of the covenant, infants should be received and incorporated into the Christian church. This, our confession rightly highlights, this was done all along. God did this in the Old Testament by circumcision. Now he does it in the New Testament by baptism. Infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and they are his people. God's word teaches us the Lord also has compassion on his children. He cares for them. What a beautiful picture of that we see here in the ministry of the Lord Jesus as the disciples are trying to to shoo the children away, thinking that 
that Jesus is too big, too important to spend time with the children. What does, what does Jesus, the Lord of the covenant, say to his disciples? Jesus rebukes them. So I say, don't, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob? Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus took the children and blessed them and laid his hands upon them. Can you picture that in your minds, boys and girls, that when Jesus was here on the earth, he didn't, he didn't shoo the children away. He didn't say, go over there, the grown-ups are talking. But Jesus took the boys and girls on his lap and he blessed them. And he laid his hands upon them. Because Jesus loved them. Because Jesus regarded those children as his little brothers and sisters according to God's covenant promise. And the reason for why each one of you were baptized boys and girls is because Jesus sees you in the same way this morning. As his little brothers and sisters. As those who belong to the covenant family. And so when I address the congregation, the congregation of Christ, I'm not just talking to the, to the grown-ups, not just talking to those who have publicly, publicly professed their faith in Christ, I'm talking to the whole congregation, grown-ups and little ones alike. That when the greeting and benediction are pronounced, that word goes to the parents and their children in virtue of the covenant promise. Perhaps no passage on the Bible speaks to the beauty of this covenant so poignantly as Genesis chapter 17. We come in this chapter to into the middle of the life and narrative of the life of Abram, who's now 99 years old, but he's still waiting. 99 years old, still waiting on the covenant promises of God. You recall how in Genesis 15, God also had appeared to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abraham. Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Just look toward the heavens and number the stars, so shall your offspring be. And then to confirm that promise, you'll recall how, how God himself walked through those cut up covenant carcasses to, to signify to Abraham, I will keep this promise. God alone walks through those covenant carcasses to, to say to Abram, even if, even if you fail, I will prevail for you. Even if you are unfaithful, I will remain faithful. I will not, I cannot deny myself. God alone walked through those covenant carcasses to signify to Abram that no matter what, God would surely keep that promise. But now many years have gone by since then. And so now here in Genesis 17, God reveals himself to Abram once again. And this is what he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be called Abram, which means father of a multitude, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come after you. God is saying much here. God gives Abram a name that, that will speak to us for generations. He gives him father of the nations. It's that he is father of us. 
And so we teach our kids to sing the song, don't we? Father Abraham, many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then in verse 7, we come to the promise that, that governs the story of salvation from the days of Abraham all the way to the end of the world. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your children after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be gone to and your offspring after you. And I will be their God. And then what does God do? God has further compassion still on Abraham as well as on his children. He gives them a sign so that they can be sure that God's testimony, his word is true and trustworthy. Verse 10, And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your children after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And he was eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And the first thing we can't help but notice in all this is that it is the Lord who's saying all these things. When you pour over these 14 verses, what do you begin to notice? You begin to notice that, that Abraham doesn't say a word. For Abraham is neither the primary speaker nor the primary actor in this relationship, but rather the covenant is all of God. God sovereignly condescends. God comes down. God establishes it. God maintains it. God upholds it. Notice in verse 7 that God is the one who makes the promise. Notice in verses 10 and 11 that it's God who gives the sign. Notice in verses 12 to 14 that it's God who sets the terms. And the terms are quite severe if they aren't adhered to, aren't they? Verse 14, any uncircumcised male among you who is not circumcised shall be cut off from this people. He has broken my covenant. And of course, our main concern this morning, brothers and sisters, is to see that here in Genesis 17, God has spoken a gracious word, not just Abraham has, but he's spoken a gracious word also to his children. God has provided a gracious sign, not only for Abraham, but also for his children. God has made this covenant, not only with Abraham, but also with his children after him. God commands not only that Abram should be circumcised, but that also his children should be circumcised. And God doesn't say to, to circumcise only some of the children, or to, or to wait until these children start to show signs of faith. But what does God say in verse 12? He was eight days old and among you shall be circumcised. God sets the terms. God speaks the word. And of this sign of circumcision, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham received this sign as a seal of the righteousness that had come by faith. In other words, although it was only seen in shadow form at that time. Nevertheless, through that sign, God sealed unto Abram and to his children that the righteousness would come to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. That sign was to remind and assure them that God would restore them, that he would cleanse them of all their sins. In his condescending grace and mercy, God gave this sign not because God need to be assured of Abraham's faith. God knew it was in Abraham's heart. 
but rather seeing that Abram, Abraham was old and frail and perhaps beginning to falter in faith, God gave the sign. He gave the sign because Abraham needed to be reminded and assured. And so the God of the covenant bent over backwards for him to assure him. Here, here's a sign for that you can see with your eyes. Here's a sign for you and, and for Isaac and for Jacob. Here's a sign for you and your children after you to know that I am the God of the covenant, to know that I will do what I say I will do. And he gives the sign of baptism for the same reason because as we confess in answer 73, he wants to teach us and assure us. By this divine pledge and sign, the blood and spirit of Christ have washed away all our sins. Do you see how gracious the Lord is to us, congregation? He doesn't give us an empty or a meaningless sign, but from the kindness of his heart, he gives us a sign because he wants to teach us, but more importantly, because he wants to assure us. He cares that, that we know that we belong to him. He doesn't want us to, to live lives of doubt. He doesn't want us to to raise our children, not, not, not knowing, just assuming that who knows what's going to happen with them. God doesn't want us to live that way. And so he gives the sign to teach us and assure us by this divine pledge and sign that the blood and spirit of Christ have washed away all our sins. Do you regard your baptism that way, people of God, as God's pledge, as his promise? to wash away all your sins? Are you nurturing your children in light of that pledge and promise? Of course, we move into the New Testament, we can't help but notice how, how often it is that the apostles borrow the language of the Old Testament, that the apostles haven't forgotten that, that God is a God who uses sign language. They haven't forgotten that God shows compassion and care to the children of the covenant. And so he, we come, for example, to Acts chapter 2, and the apostle Peter is preaching the gospel to the Jews, and he's accusing them of having crucified the Christ, and, and they're cut to the heart, and so they cry out, well, what are we to do if we are to be saved? And then what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized. And then Peter anchors that command and the promise, because that's how the commands always come to us. The commands always come to us, grounded in the promise, grounded in God's grace. Repent and be baptized. Why? Because the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, all whom the Lord himself will call to himself. And as is characteristic of God in Christ when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, that promise he made Abraham was extended beyond the borders of Israel and into the whole world and to all the nations. And so whereas, whereas some speak of Acts 2 and they see a, a narrowing of the promise saying, well, it's just for those who believe. We say that's not the case. The, the promise is expanding here. The, the command is rooted in the promise that, that the promise is for you and for your children, for all who, will, who are afar of, all who God will call to himself. We read, for example, in Acts chapter 16, how Luke borrows that Old Testament household language. He describes 
the conversions and household baptisms of Lydia and the Philippian jailer. He doesn't tell us how old each of the family members were. But he simply assumes understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that, that God chooses to deal with his people in the way of covenant households. That he, he chooses to deal with his people in the way of household, moms and dads, boys and girls. That's how he, he deals with his people. And the Apostle Paul tells in Galatians 3 that by faith in Christ, we too have become children of Abraham. And as we heard in the assurance of pardon from Colossians 2, Paul shows that the waters of baptism, in those waters God signifies to us that he has granted to us that which circumcision pointed to, to the, the cleansing of our sinful hearts. And so if God no longer had a word for our children, you would think it would be in the New Testament somewhere. The burden of proof is is not enough. It's on those who deny the promises to the children. You can about imagine the, the sense of outrage the Jews must have had, the confusion, if they were to, to hear this sermon about Christ and him crucified in Acts chapter 2, only to hear that, that God no longer had a word for the children. God says, the promise is still for you and for your children. I'm still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can still sing the psalms. They're still your songs to sing. And therefore all the Gentiles who believe too, they too are the children of Abraham. They too are the sons of Israel, the new Israel. And they can sing those songs also. God doesn't close his arms to the children. He opens his arms wider to the nations and incorporates the nations into that Abrahamic promise. And just as God promised Abraham that he would get the land, so too he promises us in the Beatitudes, doesn't that the righteous shall inherit the earth as the kingdom is now beyond the borders of Israel and of the whole world. This is God's compassion for his covenant children that he reminds and assures and he speaks a gospel word to believers and their children saying, I loved you first. We know this in the second place this morning that with the promise also comes the expectation that we and our children will likewise love the Lord in return. We read of that too in the form of baptism, don't we? That with the promise comes the obligation to love God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments. Boys and girls, do you love the Lord Jesus this morning? If you do, then you must take his words to heart. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just, see, just as his promises are for grown-ups and children alike, so too are his commandments. We, of course, understand that almost intuitively, don't we, that when God spoke to Israel that gracious word at the start of Exodus 20, saying, I am the Lord your God who, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and slavery, that that God isn't just speaking to the grown-ups. But God speaks this word of grace to all who are gathered there. And he says, I'm the God who brought you out of slavery. Let me get to the fifth commandment. I'm the God who brought you out of slavery. So boys and girls, honor your mom and dad. That it may go well with you. The promise leads to the command. And then we move in the New Testament. What does the Apostle Paul do in this letter to to the, in, in Ephesians, this letter that which he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus. He gets to chapter 6, and what does he write to the saints in Ephesus? Boys and girls, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Paul doesn't regard these children as those who are still strangers and, or aliens to the covenants of promise. He doesn't regard these children as little pagans who need to be evangelized. He doesn't regard the children of believers as vipers and diapers. But Paul speaks to the saints in Ephesus, and in those saints he speaks to the children who, has, who belong to the covenants, those who, who owe their allegiance to Christ because they too belong to Christ. And, and belonging to Christ has implications such as honoring mom and dad. And so we confess here in Lord's Day 27 that by baptism, the mark, the sign of the covenant, the children of believers should be received into the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of the world. Parents, how are you doing in this regard? Are you bringing your children to Jesus day in and day out? Are you, are you telling them of him and all that he's done for them? Are you summoning them to faith and repentance as we tune to be summoned to to faith and repentance, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. It's no small thing, is it, to make those promises before God and His people when you bring your children to be baptized, to do all that you can to, to teach your children the doctrine of salvation. But having been in so many of your homes, I know that many of you are doing that very thing. And I want to encourage you in that this morning. Keep on doing that. Don't ever grow weary of doing that. Especially you young moms who are perhaps home with the kids more often, don't ever grow weary of training your children in the Lord, of, of reading those Bible stories to them again and again. Down the road, the church of Christ is going to need faithful ministers, and behind many ministers is, is a godly mother who, who read those Bible stories day after day as mine did. I was reminded again of a godly mother who every morning as she sent her children off to school would always say three things. She would say, be good in school today. Listen to your teachers. And don't you forget who you belong to. And that's what God is saying to us and to our children in baptism. Don't you forget who you belong to. You belong to me. You belong to me, says God. And what an amazing comfort that is to know that, that we and our children belong to the Lord. And so as we often hear in the form of baptism, our children should not be excluded from baptism because of their inability to understand its meaning. For just as without their knowledge they share in Adam's condemnation, so are they without their knowledge received to grace in Christ. And so at baptism, we and our children are baptized into God's name to signify that we are no longer our own, to, to point us forward to that day when we and our children shall see God's face and his name shall be on our foreheads as John saw so gloriously in Revelation 22. When we were baptized, Father God signified and sealed to us that we had been adopted into his covenant family. When we were baptized in the name of the Son, God signified and sealed to us the forgiveness of all our sins, that he had cleared all our record of wrongs, as Paul says in Colossians 2. When we were baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, God signified to us and sealed to us that he would surely make his home within us in order that we might one day experience the promise of Revelation 21. Behold, 
the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. For just as God said to Abraham, so too he continues to say to us, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your children after you throughout their generations to be God to you and your children after you. I will be your God and I will be their God. Christ's coming into the world as the Savior also of the nations has not nullified that promise. But rather Christ has sealed that promise with his own precious blood and by the pouring out of his spirit. This congregation is the Christian's covenant comfort that we too can can echo those words of King David in Psalm 25, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him, that he makes known to them his covenant. It's a comfort where we can say with David in Psalm 22, you are he, O Lord, who, who took me from the womb and made me trust my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. In my mother's womb, you have been my God. It's a comfort where we can also say with him, You, O Lord, are my hope. You're my trust. O Lord, from my youth, upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually before you. May we and our children say that always. My praise is continually before you, the Lord, the God of the covenant. May we always say that, trusting that in the covenant promise that even... When we are unfaithful, God will remain faithful. He will not. He cannot deny himself. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you again and we give you thanks that you're a God who speaks a word of grace to us and to our children after us. That in the scriptures in the Old and New Testament, we have not two gods who deal with people very differently, but we have but one God and one story a story of restoring a relationship that we broke many, many years ago in that garden. And that you tell us the story of how in your grace and your mercy you stooped down to us, you stooped down to Adam and Eve, that you sought us, you found us, and you covered our sins in order that you might once again be, be justified in having a relationship with us, poor sinners that we are. We pray, Father, that we would live in light of our baptism, that when we have sinned and are in despair, that we would think back on that day when you spoke a gracious word to us, when you marked us as your very own, as one who belongs to the covenant. We pray that you would continue to foster and kindle faith in the hearts of our children, that these children of the promise also would embrace Christ and all his riches and all his fullness. We thank you that we can see that fruit of their faith so early on, that in virtue of that promise, we begin to see and hear them pray their bedtime prayers and to pray around the dinner table and that you hear those prayers too because you relate to them as Father. Help us, Father, as parents to continue to raise our children the way they should go, to speak of Christ when we walk along the way, to wear them as frontless between our eyes, to apply all those wonderful covenant principles from the Old Testament into the New Testament age also, and to point them, to bring them to Jesus every day. We thank you, Lord, for the covenant comfort that we have in Christ, that you seal unto us the full forgiveness, the full remission of all our sins. 
May our baptism point us forward, O God, to the day when we shall see you face to face and we shall know fully that you are our God and that we are your people. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.